Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. President Obama is demanding that the FCC reclassify the Internet as a public utility. He wants rules to ensure that neither the cable company nor the phone company will be able to act as a gatekeeper, restricting what you uh, can do or see online. Elise Hu of NPR's All Tech Considered reports the presidency's reclassification of the Internet as the best way to achieve the objectives of an open Internet. That is, no throttling of some content and speeding up of others. No paid prioritization. That is, customers getting stuck in a slow lane because the sites they're visiting didn't pay a fee. And no blocking of content. Uh, the uh, big ISPs, not surprisingly, uh, argue that uh, Title II option, uh, reclassification of the Internet, would lead to suffocating regulation, give them no incentive to invest millions in developing new technologies. The FCC recently floated a hybrid plan, and Internet service providers uh, would allow Internet service providers to make detail- deals with content providers for special access. In the meantime, Senator Ted Cruz compares net neutrality to Obamacare. He argues in a Washington Post op-ed that government-regulated utilities invariably destroy innovation and freedom, and that if the federal government seizes the power to regulate Internet pricing and goods and services, the regulations will never end. Well, what do you think? We're opening the phone lines. The number is 1-800-826-1495. What would you urge the FCC to do? That's where this rests. Uh, we, you can uh, comment at upraxis at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. We bring in uh, several guests. You can tell us all about this. Jonathan Choate from SD7 Technology Group and Logan joins us in studio. Welcome back to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you being with us. Jason Williams, who's a small business and online marketing strategy consultant, owner of Foz Technology Solutions, joins us in studio. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, two of you gentlemen, we should mention, are uh, two of the three hosts uh, on the uh, KVNU program for the people. Yeah, we've yeah, yeah, you've you've met. Okay, great. <laughs> That's right. Um, and uh, so in the in the uh, afternoon evenings, uh, you guys are on several several days a week. We're talking about a whole whole host of things. We're we're grateful you're here with us in studio. And uh, joining us uh, on the line uh, from Hong Kong is Joshua Steimley. He lives in Hong Kong, where he's oper- opening a branch office of his online marketing firm MWI, which is headquartered in Salt Lake City. Uh, Josh, uh, welcome back to the program. Great to be here. Great to be back. And we appreciate you staying up late. I'm not sure what time it is there. It's midnight, but that's par for the course. Okay. okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for staying up with us. Let me start with Jonathan. Um, when we say net neutrality, what are, what are we talking about? I mean, it's there's two parts. There is the concept of it, which basically means that all traffic on the Internet is going to be considered the same. There's no classifications, prioritizations. It, you, you put it out into that, you know, the ether that is the Internet, and it's all treated the same. Then there is it, – it's also termed as the, as the actual uh, – the thing that people are talking about as far as regulation goes. So when people talk about net neutrality, they're either talking about the concept of open Internet or they're talking about the government regulation in order to attempt to ensure that it is a classless organization. Uh, and so I, I mean that in two meanings. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's true. Uh, so, Josh Steinle, uh and what we're talking about, I, I think, is our connection to the Internet, right? It's, it's not actually the Internet itself. It's, it's, the, it's the way I get there. Right. It's it's the way that you get content. It's The debate is over the speed at which you get content of the services you like, like Netflix or any other website that you access. Mm. 
So in other words, uh, you know, most of us are either through the cable or through the phone, right? Uh, that's, uh, you know, I guess there's some satellite service that you put a dish on your house and, and such. Um, and, and so this would be regulations which would uh, ensure, in the case of the, the proponents would state it this way, that everybody gets gets equal access. I don't, I don't know if it's right. so not much... Just, not just equal access, but equal speed. Equal speed, okay. the issue. Right, Okay. Uh, let me turn to uh, Jason, Jason Williams. Um, so, what, what do you think about this? Do you do you support uh, F, do you support this Title II um, reclassification? I do. Uh, I've been a, a long time supporter of net neutrality, uh, simply because we've seen already what happens without it. Uh, I also. Net neutrality, the difficult thing to understand about net neutrality is that uh, when, when you talk about this equal internet, this uh, these fast lanes, uh, it's already happening. It's already there. Uh, Google and Netflix, for example, buy server space with companies like Comcast, for example. And uh, so there is already sort of a, a back-end fast lane that, that does exist and will continue to exist even if uh, this reclassification happens. But I think, and, and I'm sure we'll get into it in more detail, but the future here, and, and ISPs know this. That's why they're fighting right now. They're fighting a fight to delay the inevitable, and they know that. Uh, but the, where this lands eventually is much like we did with uh, copper phone lines in the 90s. Uh, that last mile becomes sort of a public utility. Uh, what do you think, Jonathan? This... this uh this idea of uh, the fact that it depends on which ISP I sign up with, some didn't pay the fee, and so I, I get a slow connection. You know, it's it's fairly complicated because the stuff they're talking about with the regulation, particularly with the, this new hybrid approach that the FCC is considering, it's it, the regulation is more about the exchange of data between ISPs. So, um, you know, it's you can't. So if I'm Comcast and I'm, you know, and that's who my the customer is, they're connected to Comcast. But the service is coming through AT&T or level three or somebody like that. There's a data exchange at certain points throughout the country and throughout the world. And that's where they're looking to apply the regulation. So I can't stifle traffic as I exchange it between one group and the other. Um, and which is why groups because those tend to be the clog points of the Internet anyway. Um, if I own, if I have a Comcast service and the server is hosted on a Comcast service, it never leaves their network. It's private amongst that group, and it tends to be faster, et cetera, just because the the technology behind it. There's just less, uh, you know, there's less uh, steps in the process, and so the regulatory issue is going to be at least that's what their current proposal is is more about this ISP to ISP communication. Um, and less about an end user regulation, um, although that they haven't formalized this. This is somewhat speculative about what they're talking about. A good kitchen table way to understand this is is uh, and, and this has already happened as well, although negotiations didn't break down and, and Netflix and Comcast were able to work something out. But uh, a good example is uh, many cable ISPs also offer television services online and they could make those websites perform very well. And then at the same time, suddenly in the background, make sites like Netflix or Hulu perform very poorly. And there is, of course, a business incentive for them to do so. And uh, as broadband becomes more and more a part of commerce, that's where we get to this regulatory discussion. Well, and, and okay. where the uh, 
cable and television providers are looking at a potential drop in their markets as things transition from a service, you know, from, you know, I, I've got my TV from DirecTV or Comcast to services that are delivered through the Internet that are somewhat ubiquitous, such as Netflix sure. using technology like Roku boxes or, or the Chromecast, etc. And add to that the, the mergers, corporate mergers that are happening that, uh, you know, the FCC is also watching that saying, OK, when do we call this a monopoly? Uh, Comcast Time Warner, for example, merger. Right. Uh, Josh Steinle, um I wonder, a lot of this is, I guess, idealism, isn't it? Um, you know, we didn't, I don't recall big debates over telephone line back when it was just a good old, you know, rotary or even push button telephone. Uh, but we, we got this brand new world of the Internet and it's it's at least in the ideal view, it's been open and it's been egalitarian. And everybody's had a had a shot at a shot at uh, getting all of the content, no, no matter what station you are in life. It, it, isn't this about idealism? Yeah, in a sense. And you used a word there, which is new. The Internet really is new. And this is part of the reason some people are against new, net neutrality, is they're saying this is a very new playing field. We don't know where this technology is going. Things might be very different 10 years down the road. And do we want to get the government into this regulating things? And can we trust the government to not invoke the law of unintended consequences and cause more problems than they're solving? As 10 years down the road, we might be working with Internet technologies that we have no idea about today. Mm. By the way, uh, do you use uh, U.S. companies to connect, in other words, or, or is it Chinese? You're, you're there in Hong Kong. Would, would FCC regulations affect you? Uh, FCC regulations would most likely not affect me over here, although who knows? It's a connected world, and so there's always a possibility. Mm-hmm. Do you use a, uh, a Hong Kong company to, to connect? Is your ISP a, a Hong Kong yes, company? Yes, there's an ISP over here in Hong Kong, and they're just as bad as any ISP in the United States. Okay. <laughs> equal <laughs> equal non-service, I guess. Uh, okay. On an interesting yeah. are, the, are is your ISP flowing through China with their internet regulation, or is it to have its own line out? I'm just curious. Uh, it's a separate. Hong, Hong Kong is a separate market when it comes to Internet from China, so we don't go through the great firewall of China uh, okay. in Hong Kong. Yeah. Uh, so I want to follow up with that, uh, Josh. Uh, you, you mentioned the great firewall of China. That, uh, you know, that, that is a form of government uh, you know, control on access to the Internet. They block content. Um, do, do you do you see any parallels with the increased regulation in, in the U.S., just sort of an indirect way of, or, or lack of well, regulation, the, is some fear? Yeah, the, the China scenario would be a nightmare for the United States. China has locked down a lot of content. They block websites like Google, Facebook, Twitter. You cannot access those websites from within China unless you use what's called a VPN, virtual private network. And even if you do it then, it's very slow. So Internet access within China, although it's improving dramatically and access is growing by leaps and bounds, because of all the government controls on it, it's very slow compared to what we're used to anywhere else. And I don't think the United States is ever going to see that, but 
from my standpoint, I see any encroachment of the government into regulating the Internet as a step in that direction. Again, I never think it would get that bad, but uh, I don't want to see it even move a tiny bit in that direction. Mm. We'll take a brief break. When we come back, we'll talk more about net neutrality and open Internet. Uh, President Obama uh, is uh, jumping in in a a more forceful way than he has before. He's always, I think, been in favor of uh, measures to ensure net neutrality as he sees it. Now he's demanding that the FCC reclassify the Internet as a public utility. Um, Others, of course, are against it, including the big ISPs. And we have uh, Josh Steinle on the phone from uh, Hong Kong. Uh, he is opening a branch office of his online marketing firm, MWI, there. That uh, firm is headquartered in Salt Lake City. We have with us in-studio Jason Williams, small business and online marketing strategy consultant, owner of Foz Technology Solutions, and Jonathan Choate joins us. He's from SD7 Technology Group in Logan. Uh, when we come back from the break, uh, Jason, I'll ask you to paint me, uh, maybe we could uh, go a little bit to the extremes here and then come back to the middle, paint me the doomsday scenario if, in your view, uh, these uh, regulations are not uh, are not adopted, then I'll turn to uh, to Jonathan and Josh to, to tell me why this should not happen. Uh, that following break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread in Logan, open for breakfast Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. and Saturdays at 8 a.m., offering a selection of French pastries and a variety of sweet and savory menu items. Details at crumbbrothers.com. Hi, it's Lynn Rosetto Casper. This week we're meeting up with legendary chef Jacques Pepin. We look to Japan for lunchbox inspiration. And Jane Stern? Lynn, we've been thinking about what happens when great road food restaurants multiply. Don't miss it. That's this week on The Splendid Table from 8 p.m. Tuesday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We're talking about net neutrality and open Internet. Uh, part of our audience, uh, gentlemen, I think is saying, what? So we'll ask you about that. Do, do people even care about this? Uh, I personally hope you care because we're doing a, an hour on this on the radio. Uh, but uh, so I'll ask uh, coming up here, Jason, to, to make people care about this, paint a doomsday scenario uh, situation. President Obama is demanding that the FCC reclassify the Internet as a public utility should be more like your telephone, he says. Um, and he's asking the FCC to uh, classify that under Title II of the Telecommunications Act. Um, proponents like President Obama want an open Internet. That is, no throttling of some content and speeding up of others, no paid prioritization. In other words, customers getting stuck in a slow lane because uh, sites they visited uh, aren't paying a fee, and no blocking of content. Uh, others say that uh, you get the government involved in anything, and uh, it's, it's going to stifle innovation and freedom, and the regulations will never end. So this debate is raging. The FCC will be making a decision. FCC, by the way, uh, has proposed a, a sort of a middle solution. We'll get into talking about that as well. And we have with us in studio uh, Jonathan Choate from SD7 Technology Group, and Logan Jason Williams is owner of Foz Technology Solutions, and Joshua Steimley is in Hong Kong, where he's opening a branch office of his online marketing firm, MWI, which is headquartered in Salt Lake City. So, uh, Jason Williams... Paint the picture for me, uh, you know, to, to do this in black and white, if you would. Um, no shades of gray right now. 
if these regulations are not adopted, if we if the government doesn't doesn't step in, what might happen? Uh, the doomsday scenario. It, there, there's two parts of this. Part of it is already happening, and uh, it, it, it's along the idea. In fact, some of the uh, criticism of net neutrality that you've heard uh, and 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 will continue to hear is that it will stifle innovation, uh, which is a quaint notion, uh, but it is also something we're already seeing. Uh, the, these ISPs uh, wouldn't even talk about uh, gigabit internet or uh, fiber until uh, Google made them. Uh, they've actually used the regulatory process to uh, control uh, their assets as, as uh, they rightfully see them, but they've done so in a way that has actually stopped competition from happening. So a doomsday scenario for the end user, for the average user, the average person sitting at their home using the internet in some way for commerce or entertainment, is... Uh, say, for example, for a small business owner, the doomsday scenario there is your website is inaccessible in your local area unless you pay some sort of fee to the ISP that also has a monopoly over broadband in your area, and they make that fee whatever they want it to be. That's a doomsday scenario, but that is also something that is in ways already happening. And, and I think to really understand the net neutrality debate, you have to understand we talked earlier about this being new, uh, but it isn't really. The Internet itself is, but common carrier status, for example, is something that's been around for a long time, and it's a good way to understand uh, both the risks of a non-neutral net, but also the, the benefits of this type of regulation. Uh, common carrier status, when applied to, for example, railroads and airlines, uh, offered a, a service that the government at the time recognized was a big part of commerce, uh, travel. And so common carrier status, uh, to oversimplify it, basically said you will offer your service to anyone that can afford it for a standard rate. In exchange for that, you will be protected in certain ways uh, from anything anyone might do while on your airplane or on your train. Uh, Comcast, interestingly enough, has used this defense multiple times in court uh, to say, look, a person broke the law while using Comcast, for example, a broadband. Uh, and we are not liable for that because we are a common carrier. We're just providing a pipeline, if you will. And so that makes the, the uh, they doth protest too much, mm. in my opinion, uh, okay. be, because here they are. And again, in my opinion, they're just trying to delay this. They, they see it coming. They know it's coming. Uh, they're trying to delay it as long as they can. But again, they've used that common carrier defense in court several times to say, hey, we're just a pipeline provider. Well, that's what net neutrality basically does is enshrines that you're just a pipeline provider. And if you think about the way the Internet works, when it comes to innovation, innovation doesn't come from ISPs. In fact, again, they've stifled it. Innovation comes from business owners using the Internet to provide some sort of service or product that's unique. Uh, let me turn to Johnson Choate. Uh, I know you have an opposing point of view. Uh, this idea that ISPs are their pipelines and the public, and it tends toward monopoly, doesn't it? Well, it does to a degree in that the nature of the lines tends to be that you can't have multiple people running the same type of line within a municipality. You're not going to have 12 different, you know, coaxial you know, cable providers stubbing out in your house. Uh, the investment is too big. 
Uh, and that's sort of that's sort of how we got where we are as far as these enforced monopolies. There's only one set of cable. There's one set of copper wires. So there's your your telephone type providers, your DSL lines. Um, the where we really don't have uh, the monopoly is in wireless uh, because there's a lot of spectrum available. Uh, you can license certain things. And so just in Cache Valley here, we have multiple local wireless providers from, you know, your Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile hotspots to Digis, Revco, these sort of local regional all the way to satellite. So in that in that spectrum, we don't have monopoly. But the problem is, is those tend to serve those who can't get copper lines because it's always slower. The nature of the technology is going to put it a generation or two behind in performance. So due to the nature of the evolution of ISPs from telephone providers and from local, you know, local TV cable providers, um, we do tend to have monopolies. Uh, And that's something that's got to be worked on because I don't think it's really necessary that way anymore. Um, Where I want to. So in some ways, I agree with Jason and some don't. I don't. I don't think it was. This happens a lot. Yeah. Yeah. We we can can agree on certain (laughs) things, but then how we got there is vastly different. Sure. So you use the example of, uh, you know, the ISPs don't want to didn't want to roll out gigabit fiber, but it wasn't regulation that got them to do it. It was competition. It was Google saying, hey, we're going to roll this out because nobody else is. Um, and, and I think that's how we're going to see this is by encouraging competition, by providing avenues with which we have competitors. And I, I believe a better regulator is a, is a good competitive market where I, as a consumer can choose what I want. And if I just want the absolute cheapest thing so I can, you know, browse Amazon and buy stuff, I don't really care what it is. But if I'm a business, if I'm a whatever, I can choose services based on my need for, you know, whatever. That's the point. If there's if there's people with a need, there's going to be somebody who's going to who's going to service it. My concern is, is that we're going to start to get one size fits all. We're going to start to regulate competition out of the market, which is a which is a common theme over the last century is. The more it becomes regulated, the harder it is for new competition to enter a field, the more entrenched the existing providers come. And that's where the stifling of innovation comes. It's not a question of the development of technology. It's an investment issue. It's a regulation tends to protect those already in the game and makes it harder for competition to come in and shake things up, which is what we need on a constant basis. Because there is a constant re-innovation as new services come out. I mean, it's only 20 years since we were, everybody was on dial-up. And that is something to point out. This is all happening so fast. Mm-hmm. And regulation is not it's, quick to, well, to uh, adjust. It's changing so fast. And we as consumers are, are adapting to it. I mean, it, we're all of us sitting here holding uh, smartphones in our hands that, that were fairly new uh, to the consumer market, at least, in 2008. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're not talking about we're talking about something that adapts very quickly. And so I, that's where I also agree with Jonathan and, and others who oppose net neutrality is that, uh, you know, this isn't the kind of thing where you can afford to be lethargic and slow as uh, government, I think, by design is. Uh, but at the same time. Uh, there is no competition right now in the in the broadband markets. And so uh, to, to illustrate, I think, where Jonathan and I split, but yet agree, uh, there, there are two mindsets in the in the 
I guess you'd call the pro-net neutrality camp or, the, or those who are concerned about ISPs having too much influence over the Internet at large. They become more than just a pipeline and all of a sudden they're deciding what works and what doesn't when you go to the Internet. Uh, that concerns people like Jonathan and I equally, but the two different mindsets are between uh, the idea of regulating either through common carrier or public utility or, or we call it something new net neutrality or just watching closely and perhaps even stepping in when necessary, uh, monopolies as they build up. Uh, you know, Jonathan mentions that you'll never see in your house, you know, eight different uh, pipeline options. But wouldn't it be great if we did? Uh, well, and, and so that's another question. Is that a better approach to maybe go in and say, hey, you know, uh, you can't own that much of the broadband market in that region? Uh, just a brief comment, Jonathan. I want to bring uh, Josh back in. Go ahead. Um, so, Josh, um, and we do have a comment uh, on uh, email. I, I should uh, emphasize that. We would love to get your questions and comments on this topic. Open Internet and net neutrality is what we're talking about. And uh, the impetus here is uh, President Obama's uh, recent demands to, to the FCC that they reclassify the Internet as a public utility. Uh, we have with us uh, in studio Jonathan Choate from SD7 Technology Group. Jason Williams is owner of Foz Technology Solutions, and Joshua Steimley is uh, joining us from Hong Kong, where he's opening a branch office of his online marketing firm, MWI, that's headquartered in Salt Lake City. You can join us at 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. Uh, you can uh, join us as well by email to upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com, and we are on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. What do you think? Are you in favor of net neutrality? Are you against it? Uh, perhaps you support the FCC's so-called hybrid approach. We'll talk about that as well. Uh, Josh Timely, uh, before we go to a comment that we've received uh, uh, on the, on email, I want to uh, refer you back to your uh, article, your piece in Forbes magazine. This is what caught our attention back in May when we talked about this, and the title is provocative, Am I the Only Techie Against Net Neutrality? And you talk about, I think you organize this in some interesting ways. I'd like to... Uh, to organize our discussion along those lines. Uh, the, the first reason you say you're against net neutrality is you want more competition. One of the one of the points you make is, and you made this earlier in the program, is that we're very new with this, right? You, you, in in ten years, in five years, even we could we could be getting the internet in some brand new way. That's right. And Jonathan did a great job of explaining how we don't have a free market in internet right now there are a lot of government regulations that are already affecting the way that internet is provided to us and the debate tends to be framed as though we have a free market right now and we have all these problems and therefore government regulation is going to come in and fix these problems it's rarely if ever framed as the problems that currently exist are largely due to government regulation and now we're looking to impose further government regulation as a way to fix those problems. And that's my concern, again, is that by coming in and doing more regulation, we're going to create regulations that are going to hamper future types of Internet that might exist or future services that we might not be able to see right now. An example might be a medical application that sucks up a lot of bandwidth, takes a lot of uh, the pipes that are out there, but it's very important and very critical. Would we want to give preferential treatment to that medical application if, it, if it's saving lives, if it's 
helping people to live better lives. And yet under net neutrality, we would say, well, no, we have to treat that traffic the same as a Netflix movie, even though that traffic is considerably more important. Now, Obama says in his proposal, well, we're going to make provisions for that type of traffic. Well, then we get into now the government is deciding what traffic is important and which traffic is not. And do we want to go down that road? Uh, Josh, you you have a provocative sentence here in your uh, op-ed. You say, if the telecoms are forced to compete in a truly free market, Comcast and Time Warner won't exist 10 years from now. They'll be replaced by options that give us better service at a lower price. I believe that's absolutely true. Uh, Look at AOL. AOL was huge 10 years ago. Where's AOL today? They're still there, but they're not what they were. And it's very unlikely that Comcast or Time Warner are going to last the next 10 years because nobody likes them. They're terrible. They have terrible customer service, and they're not being innovative. And if we have a free market, it provides easier access. There are fewer barriers to entry. As Jonathan pointed out, regulation has a tendency to entrench the larger players who can deal with the regulation and it keeps out smaller players who have more trouble getting around the regulations that have been created. There might be smaller ISPs that come out and say, hey, we can get an edge in this market by providing preferential treatment to a certain audience, and that's going to give them the foothold they need to get started in the market and then grow and then take over and kick out Comcast and Time Warner. But if we have regulations that prohibit them from doing that, they never even get started. They don't have a chance to do that. Let's go to this comment up by email. This is from Gene in Logan, uh, who says, Listeners need to be very cautious of any proposals by Senator Ted Cruz, who is in the pockets of ultra-right-wing billionaire Koch brothers. Uh, by the way, I, I confess to throwing out that red meat in my, my open, because <laughs> Ted Cruz does just you say the name and it inflames the passions of, of a certain percentage of people. Uh, she goes on, they are against any kind of government regulation, uh, talking about the Koch brothers. Uh, where would consumers be without the protection of the Food and Drug Administration? Look at the case of China with so many deaths of infants from contaminated formula, without seat belts and airbags and vehicles. The list goes on. Let me throw this to, to you, Jonathan, first of all. I know as a libertarian, you, you, you are in favor of limited government, but at our, you know, it, there, there are cases, Gene points this out, where we, we need government regulation. You know, it's, libertarianism isn't about no regulation. It's about only regulation that is necessary for government to do, that there is no other method to do it, um, and which, which is a small subset of things out there. I think mean, it's interesting to use China as, an, as a, uh, an analogy of a non-regulated thing, because China is perhaps one of it's one of the most heavily regulated nations out there. The government has its hands in everything. And I think what that illustrates is, is that when the government is charge of everything, there's things that they just don't care about because it doesn't affect them. And so, um, you know, they also don't have, uh, you know, free markets for, you know, an, an open competition. They don't have the ability to uh, file civil lawsuits against people who make uh, defective products. There's no liability associated with this. If they, can get th- if they can get it past the government regulator, they're safe no matter what they produce, which leads to corruption. So I, I don't I don't see that. And I appreciate the comments, Gene. I don't see that as as being applicable to this. Um, it is what we're what we're dealing with is you know this was you know, there, you know there's a 
it's not an unregulated industry. This is a heavily regulated industry on the telecommunication side. Um, and but what is not regulated now is content uh, with the exception of those things that are illegal for other means, you know, selling something that is illegal, providing providing images or video that is in and of itself illegal. You have regulation there, but that's not Internet regulation. That's regulation across the board. It wouldn't matter if it's paper or an image on your computer. That's one thing that is completely left open. I have concerns that groups like Comcast, AT&T, Time Warner, etc., are going to cause problems in this. But I think that we are going backwards by letting the FCC step in and regulate it as a common carrier where they have the ability to begin to regulate content. I realize it's a slippery slope argument. I totally understand that. But it is a slippery slope, and it's one that I don't ever want to get on because there are so many things out there that they that government wants to regulate and control that this is that that little grip in there uh, is going to lead to things that we don't foresee now. But you know, it's going to be something we're not even talking about, but we're going to regret it later. The number to reach us is 1-800-826-1495. We'd love to, love to get your perspective on net neutrality and open Internet. Uh, you can join us by email to upraxis at gmail.com, and we're on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. Let me turn to Jason next. Um, so you've heard uh, Jonathan and Josh articulate the argument against increased regulation. Gene has suggested that there are some good examples where government regulation is absolutely necessary. Um, maybe you could state the case for what you're asking for, what the president is asking for in uh, the FCC to do is increased regulation. Sure. Uh, a, a couple of things to challenge with what you've heard from from uh, both Josh and, and Jonathan. The idea that you have to remember that the Internet, we're talking about the Internet in two parts here. Again, the, the pipeline, the, the, the road, if you will that uh, companies like uh, Comcast or Cox Cable provide, Time Warner. Uh, and then there is the Internet, which is the content you can access with that pipeline. And it's important to remember that distinction as we talk about this, because when you talk about regulation being what is killing competition in this market, you're ignoring intentionally, I believe, a, a huge facet of what we've seen develop around broadband providers. Uh, and the easiest way to put this is that Comcast isn't innovative because Comcast is comfortable. Comcast, for example, here in Cache Valley, they do not have a big competitor. So what they decide to do is what we get. And that is, to me, a bigger concern, actually. Uh, but when it comes to net neutrality, uh, you know, Ted Cruz in his comments, there's not it's not an accident that what Ted Cruz says mirrors exactly word for word what the big cable providers say. That's not an accident to the to the listeners comment there. Uh, it's astute to notice those things. Uh, but also uh, Ted Cruz, Senator Ted Cruz uh, exhibits, uh, I think, what is the biggest problem in this debate. And, and the, the only thing that concerns me about this debate is that. Uh, from Senator Orrin Hatch and his endorsement of a very odious idea a couple of years ago uh, known as the Stop Online P Piracy Act, which was is it too big of an issue to get into. But uh, to, well, by the way, one we both heavily disagreed say, with. Yeah, to say <laughs> we the, agreed on that one. To say the least, the Internet blew up in Senator Orrin Hatch's face. Uh, and one of the reasons that these types of things happen is a lot of these uh, senators don't know what they're talking about. 
but they have very skilled lobbyists who do and they come in and whoever makes the winning case. And so that is concerning. But it's important to remember with net neutrality, we're not talking about and this is what Ted Cruz gets so wrong and, and what a lot of people get so wrong. We're not talking about a government provided service here. We're not talking about rewriting the Internet here as it works. What we're talking about is a set of rules, a simple set of rules that allows uh, private companies to, to profit uh, while providing, you know, what, what are basically becoming essential services to our, to our national commerce uh, while protecting consumers and, and small businesses, for example, from man- manipulative anti-competitive behavior that many of these ISPs with monopolies in, in local in regional areas have exhibited already a willingness to conduct. And so it's important to remember that distinction. There is a there is a pipeline conversation, how we get to the Internet and what regulations should apply there. And then there is the Internet itself, which is a separate thing from that pipeline. Uh, the content that you see, the businesses that offer services online. And the, and the most simple example I can offer uh, of another aspect of this is an issue of free speech. Uh, the issue of free speech, we can actually use Senator Ted Cruz in as, as an example. Say Senator Ted Cruz uh, in another world isn't cozy with these big ISPs. Say he's wronged them. Say he's made them mad with a, a vote he's cast in the Senate. Well, suddenly in Ted Cruz's home area during an election cycle, suddenly his website is going down a lot. Suddenly his website's very slow. Suddenly the video at his website doesn't play quite so well as his opponents does. Now, that's an extreme example, and there are other regulations that would actually protect against something like that already, but it's a great example of the power these ISPs, again, the pipeline providers, it's an example of the power they do currently have, and this is an idea of a simple set of rules just saying, don't do that. We're going to take another break. When we come back, we'll, uh, I'll begin with Josh Steinle uh, in his piece in Forbes from May. Uh, he says one of the reasons that he wants uh, less regulation, not more, uh, is that he wants more privacy. And I guess that could cut both ways. We'll, we'll ask him why he thinks uh, less regulation ensures free speech and more privacy. We'll talk about that, and uh, we'll talk about uh, arguments, more arguments for and against net neutrality. Uh, President Obama is uh, demanding that the FCC reclassify the Internet as a public utility. What do you think? The number is 1-800-826-1495. Email is upraxcess at gmail.com. And we're on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. More following the break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and USU's Emma Eccles-Jones College of Education and Human Services. Ranked in the top 2% of graduate schools of education with degrees that include communicative disorders and deaf education. More is at cehs.usu.edu. Most U.S. universities won't divest of fossil fuel stocks so far, despite their own research that shows the dangers of global warming. And many of them in their letters, refusing to divest, say that they accept the science behind climate change and, and view it as ethically problematic. They just don't see divestment as a way to address it. The missing campus climate change debate. I'm Steve Kerwin, and that's next time on Living on Earth from PRI. Wednesday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're discussing net neutrality, the open Internet, 
This is the idea that the the ideal articulated by President Obama recently when he's uh, demanded the FCC reclassify the Internet as a public utility of, uh, and there was no throttling of some content and speeding up of others. These are the words of Elise Hu from NPR's All Tech Considered. Uh, no paid prioritization. Uh, in other words, customers getting stuck in a slow lane, so-called, because sites they're visiting don't pay a fee. Uh, no blocking of content. Uh, people on the other side, including Senator Cruz, uh, say that anytime you get uh, government regulation, uh, that it destroys innovation and freedom. And if the government, federal government seizes the power to regulate Internet pricing and goods and services, regulations will never end. We're talking about this with Jonathan Choate from SD7 Technology Group, uh, Jason Williams, who is owner of Foz Technology Solutions, and uh, Joshua Steimley, who lives in Hong Kong, where he's opening a branch office of his online marketing firm, MWI, which is headquartered in Salt Lake City. I want to start uh, this segment, the last segment of the program, with Josh Steimley. One of the reasons, Josh, you, you say you want less regulation, not more, is you want more privacy. And I, I, I could, you know, I suppose I could articulate, maybe our other guests could, uh, that you maybe you want more regulation, not less, to get privacy. What's your argument in less regulation, more privacy? Well, I found, Tom, that when you examine the arguments and the people who are arguing for and against net neutrality, it ultimately boils down to one thing, which is, do you trust the U.S. government to regulate the Internet or not? And people who see the U.S. US government as being benign and an organization that simply wants to help or that represents the people, then you tend to be more favorable about net neutrality. If you see the U.S. government as an entity separate from the country, separate from the people, and you view the U.S. government with suspicion in its actions, you tend to be against net neutrality because you see it as suspicious behavior. You see it as a power grab. And I come down on the side of being suspicious of the government. I agree with Gene. I don't think we should trust Ted Cruz. I don't think we should trust any politician with anything they say, pretty much. In my mind, they're all guilty until proven innocent. But when it comes to the U.S. government and having any influence on the Internet whatsoever, I look at what we've learned about the spying through the revelations about the NSA from Edward Snowden. I look at the IRS scandal that's been going on with conservative groups being targeted. And I look at all that and I say, is this the organization that we want to trust to do anything related to the Internet, to have any oversight whatsoever when it comes to the Internet? Or do we want to retain that oversight to ourselves as consumers, which is what a free market does? A free market puts the power in the hands of we, the consumers. When we put government in control, we're delegating our power. We're taking a step away from control of that product, of that service, and we're saying we're going to let government control this on our behalf. And I simply don't trust the government. I don't trust its intentions. I don't trust that even if they have good intentions today, that the people running it 10 years from now will have good intentions. I think a lot of proponents of net neutrality have come into the game when Obama's in power and the Democrats are controlling the Senate, and they say, well, I trust these people to manage the government. Well, now the Republicans are going to control the Senate, and heaven forbid we're going to have Jeb Bush as our next president. Do you still feel okay about the U.S. government 
having more oversight over the Internet if that's the case a few years from now. Hmm. Um, much more we could say on this. Um, we haven't even gotten to the, uh, the hybrid approach. Maybe we could have Jonathan briefly explain that. But we're, we just have about five minutes left, and I'd like to just uh, whip around the panel here and, and have you tell me, each, starting with Josh Steinle, what the ideal would be. What uh, you know? What, what the ideal state, especially with regard to regulation and and uh, the internet. So, Josh Timely, what uh, what would you like to see happen? I would like to see all regulations that affect the internet in any way stripped away. I would like to see a one hundred percent free market. I think we would see uh, more innovation, more services, uh, more com- competition. I think we would have better guarantees of privacy. And I don't think it would be a panacea, but I think it would be better than what we have now, and it would be certainly far better than net neutrality or any form of increased regulation. Jonathan, maybe before you you state what you would like to see ideally, in just a couple of minutes, your your 30-second primer on what the FCC is proposing. Yeah, and I went over a little bit at the beginning of the hour. Um, It's... The initial, uh, the president's uh, statement was to classify it as a common carrier and regulate it at the end user point. The hybrid approach is classified as common carrier, but but the regulations would deal most heavily with ISP to ISP traffic, the backbone of the Internet where us as consumers, we don't really see that. But we do feel it when we're trying to access content from far away. Uh, you know, if you try to open sites from, say, Hong Kong from here in Utah, uh, it's much slower. You got to have a bunch of hops you're going through. So that's where the regulation would be not being able to pass classifications from one ISP to another, um, which can be difficult if you're dealing with a uh, things that require real time speeds, such as the communication we're doing now. You know, we're talking over the Internet uh, in many cases and classifying that can improve the service. But at the same time, if you can't pass it from one ISP to another because of the regulation, then that's something that would be allowed, except under special consideration from the FCC. So uh, 30 seconds, what, what's the ideal state for you? So the ideal state for me, I, I, I somewhat agree with, with Josh in concept here. You, we, we've got to get rid of the, the regulations that are not about consumer protection when it comes to things like fraud, when it comes to, I mean, we have regulation. There are regulations for a reason, and there's good regulations. But we tend to, if one regulation is good, they're all good. Uh, and I don't agree with that. Um, we, we need to be uh, pushing competition and, and getting rid of the regulations that are entrenching monopoly. You know, Comcast, AT&T, Verizon, et cetera, with ISPs, they tend to be very monopolistic in certain regions, and therefore they have power. That power can be stripped away through real competition. Now, I don't know exactly how that occurs. I, you know, there's there's a lot of different options there. But that's my goal long term is to say we need to increase competition. And that will solve a lot of these problems because consumers are going to make choices with what they want. And it's going to be that we're going to have lots of different varieties out there under that scenario. We'll have people who want special highways and we'll have those who don't and they can make their choices. Um, I think the key there is and and I. You know, Jason made a great description of the intention of the regulated net neutrality. And if it occurred the way he was describing it, I'd probably be for it. I simply don't believe it will actually occur in that manner. I think that is, you know, that is the argument that's being made. But the reality of it will be much dirtier than that. Mm. 
Jason, we'll give you the last word. What's what's the ideal state? Is it President Obama's proposal? Uh, what what's the ideal state here? Uh, to be honest with you, the the current proposal, the hybrid, is is ugly in its own ways, and sadly, probably the best we'll get. But uh, notion notions of a hundred percent free market are are nice, uh, but there is a reality that we exist in in which that is not the reality. Uh, the reality we exist in, and and right here in our own hometown, you can see it. Uh, the reality we exist in is that you have one, two, maybe three choices in your local area for for internet service, and what they decide to invest in is what you have to choose from, and that's currently the reality of how it works. So a simple set of rules uh, that you can go two directions on this. Uh, in in my perfect world, you can uh, break some of these monopolies up isn't going to happen. These networks are expensive and startups, uh, you know, in, when it comes to broadband providers, it takes a lot of capital. Uh, so there's never going to be a lot of competition on that end. But when it comes to the internet itself, there is. So we can have a simple set of rules that say to these pipeline providers, internet service providers, hey, you offer an equal access service to any consumer who can pay your going rate and to any service provider that's offering a service to those consumers you don't meddle with it. You make your money, you stay innovative, you keep on top of this because otherwise you will get surpassed, but don't mess with what people can get online just because you're the only service that they have to choose from. We'll uh, leave it there. Um, We have uh, had with us on the line from Hong Kong, uh, Joshua Steinle. He's living in Hong Kong. He's opening a branch uh, office of his online marketing firm, MWI. It's headquartered in Salt Lake City. Uh, Josh, thank you. By the way, how's business? It's going fantastic over here as well as in the U.S. Great. How long are you going to be in Hong Kong? Quite a while? A few more years, at least, I think. Yeah. All right. Well, very interesting. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We've had with us uh, Jason Williams, who is owner of Foz Technology Solutions. Thanks. Thanks for having us in. And uh, Jonathan Cho, SD7 Technology Group. Thank you. As always, it's a pleasure. And we can continue this discussion uh, on Twitter. We're at Utah Public Radio online, upraxis at gmail.com. Keep those comments coming. And on our website, upr.org as well. Thanks for listening today. Deseret News columnist Steve Eaton. I couldn't even give my shoes away. I finally held my own garage sale last Saturday. My wife, Barb, was out of town. For several years, she has argued against holding our own garage sale. She said that she remembers what happened the last time we held such a sale 30 years ago. She predicted we'd end up investing four hours and have little to show for our trouble. I was under duress, however. It seems that whenever she is gone for a few weeks, I find things on eBay that I really need that we can't afford. I buy them anyway. Like a gambler who has overextended himself, I was under the gun this time to come up with $50 before my wife came home. So far, my wife has never broken my legs or thumbs for these rash eBay investments, but she has given me the look, which can be worse. I was so desperate that I took one of my greatest eBay purchases, an oak briefcase, to an antique dealer to see how much he would give me for it. I paid $140, and I didn't expect that much, but I was hoping for enough to pay off my latest eBay indiscretion, which just happened to be a brand-new, never-before-used oak briefcase that I got for just $50.50. 50 
I lost all hope when he looked it over, turned to me and said, Don't you have anything better than this? He offered me $20. I will never go back to his store. So some of my neighbors down the street were having a garage sale and lots of people were looking over their stuff. I had even spent $1 on a CD that I really needed. Their customers were driving right by my house. I realized I could hijack their garage sale. Fifteen minutes later, I had filled a single table with some pretty impressive stuff. I had even included a piece of exercise equipment, which is required by state law. The table was covered with eBay and garage sale treasures that I had rounded up over the years. If I had come across a garage sale like this, I would have been stunned. I would have been in heaven. I was going to make a lot of people happy, I thought, and I realized it would be easy to rake in more than the $50.50 I needed. For the first 15 minutes, no one stopped. I even had some drive-bys. Why would anyone do that? It's so rude and hurtful. Someone slows down and eyeballs your stuff and decides it's not even worth stopping their car. It's as if they're saying, why would I want your soiled belongings in my uppity life? I felt like a Klingon whose honor had been insulted. Then the crowd started to come. First one, then two, then three people came to look over my treasures. A man expressed interest in the shoes I had put out. I told them they were free, and he seemed to feel that was too much. I thought about paying him to take them, but I decided to see if he would blink first. He walked away in his own shoes. Someone else took an interest in my CDs and bought two of them for $2. But she ignored my old century baseball game, my Egyptian leather briefcase, my infinity watch, my unique wooden cassette case, and a broken umbrella that is huge when it stays up. It was just plain wrong. So after 15 minutes, I decided the garage sale was over. I'd had enough of that. I took it down. I would show them. Besides, what was I thinking, pretending I didn't need my Egyptian leather briefcase or my wristwatch that uses tiny mirrors to let me see into infinity? I told my sad tale to my wife on the phone and confessed my awful eBay indiscretion. She'd been away from me for quite a while and was in a really good mood. She was quite understanding and grateful that my slip-up this time only added up to $50.50. I think the failed garage sale was a fluke. I've since realized there were some obvious crowd pleasers I did not put out. My giant armadillo slippers I smartly snatched up at a garage sale a few months ago. My CD that features a banjo choir. My wristwatch calendar that still has two good months on it. And my shower cap collection weren't even made available. Oh, I could have made a ton of money. I bet I could find some better things on eBay to sell at a garage sale. I could pay off my eBay debt that way in a matter of months. I would buy things and then sell them. It's funny, sometimes my wife doesn't trust me to have smart solutions to financial challenges, and then I come up with ideas like this. Maybe if I wore a shower cap and waved at people from our house, I could get more people to stop at our garage sale. In 30 years, Barb will forget about this garage sale, And the man with the shower cap will step out of the shadows with his walker and a briefcase and blow her away by hosting the garage sale to end all garage sales. Now that's a future even my wristwatch could not have seen coming. This is Steve Eaton. KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, KUSUFM HD1 Logan.